Jesus is the healer of our soul. And how can diving deep into the love of Jesus heal the wounds of our past? Today, we'll discuss that question and more as we explore healing and forgiveness with Sister Miriam James Heidland, author of Love As I Am, An Invitation to Conversion, Healing, and Freedom in Christ. I'm Father Dave Pavanka, President of Franciscan University of Steubenville, and you are watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University Presents. I'm your host, Father Dave Pavanka, President of Franciscan University of Steubenville, and we're talking today about healing and forgiveness. I'm joined by our panelist, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University. Welcome, Doctor. And Dr. Scott Hahn, the Father Michael Scanlon Professor of Biblical Theology and New Evangelization here at Franciscan University. And Sister Miriam is a member of the SALT community. Yes. So if you just share a little bit and tell us about yourself. Yes, I'm a member of the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. I joined in 1998, and we are a missionary community that serves in missions all over the world. And we serve with, in teams of priests, sisters, and laity, and in areas of what we call deepest apostolic need, based on what the bishop needs, and we serve the needs in his diocese. So it varies depending on what his needs are. That's what we That's do. Great. So, yeah. great. And the main charism of your community? Is how we serve, is serving teams of Trinitarian teams of, um, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, priests, sisters, and laity. So all serving a common purpose, right? Each in our own vocations, like yeah. serving the church. That have, maybe has something to do with you. Yes. People ask me about this all the time. <laughs> I'm not really quite sure. Just, so this is, the, yeah, this is the crest of our community. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the Trinitarian um, symbol. Yeah. Beautiful. So. And sister, you've also helped us for many years with the youth conferences. Yes, I have. I've loved every second of it. I love being part of the Steubenville family. It's always an honor to, to be part of that. No, and you, just the impact that you have on young people, it's just a great blessing to have you oh, with us. So you. thank you so much. I'm delighted. Well, we want to talk and just be able to discuss a little bit about uh, your book, which mm -hmm. we'll obviously be able to talk and get yeah. to, but also what well, the name of your book. Yes. Yeah. This Loved As I Am, the book is called Loved As I Am, and it's a, a journey through healing and forgiveness and conversion. And I was asked to write it many years ago by Ave Maria Press. They had seen a YouTube video that I'd given, and they said, you know, could you write a book about this? And so it took some time, just so it's a weaving together of what it means to be human. It's a theology of the body and also my own story. And my only desire for the book is short on purpose, is that whoever reads the book, when they finish it and they close it, they say, okay, like, I want to grow in intimacy with Christ or I want to finally tell that story in my life, or that's my desire for them. And so it's, it's been beautiful, the fruit of it. So it's just a, it's a wonderful a wonderful gift that God has just you know opened my own heart to. So you said what it means to be human. It's, isn't it interesting that we have to have a book on what yes. does it mean to be human? But yeah. why do you think that is the case, this basic identity? Why, why do we have a struggle with that? So I think that's the greatest crisis of our time, is what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be male and female? What does it mean to be a child of God? Like, who am I? Where have I come from? Where am I going? Like, you know, generations have asked that question, but you see it now in a particular, it's almost like society stands on a precipice over that one question of what does it mean to be human and who am I is indicative of the rest of our entire lives. It, how part we live, the, how we, yeah. I mean, part of the problem is the way we have redefined freedom. Yes. You know, it's a kind of psychological anarchy mm -hmm. that has become our touchstone for freedom. Mm -hmm. You know, way back, freedom was freedom for virtue. Yes. Freedom for maturity, freedom for growing closer to Christ. Now it's freedom from all of the above, power, law, tradition, everything. Mm -hmm. And, and it just you, you have people 
who find freedom by throwing away the compass yeah. and the map mm -hmm. and saying, I'll decide for myself how I will get lost <laughs> and call myself found. Right, right, yeah. right. Which never works, you know. And St. Augustine in his Confessions, he says, absolutely all of us want to be happy. Absolutely right. all of us want to be happy. Yeah. And so I think it was, you know, Aristotle who said, we just disagree on what it means to be happy. So if we can yeah. agree on what it means to be human and the compass and the roadmap, then we can journey along together. Yeah. But if we throw that out, then good luck. You know, yeah. it's hard. I, I'm, I'm yeah. struck by the fact that uh, probably the deepest apostolic need at the moment yes. uh, is not about the church, mm -hmm. but about man, anthropology. Mm -hmm. Who am I? Yes. Where do I come from? Where am I going? Mm -hmm. That has to be settled before we can confront these other issues, which are pretty neuralgic uh, and no, bitterly just... contested. Oh, that's so true. That is very true because, and I'm all for parish-based programs and things like that, and, and, but until we understand what it means, like you said, what it means to be human and who am I, yeah. those will have little effect until the conversion is here and continuous, continuous and ongoing. Yeah. I agree but with I you. think the problem though is, yeah. is where do we as a culture look to for the definition of what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. You would offer a suggestion, where do we look? Where does an individual look to? What defines us? Mm -hmm. How do you speak to that? Well, as Christians, of course, we look to God, to who he is. But I think I was listening to a very interesting talk that um, Bishop Barron was giving on John Henry Newman and about conscience and about the interior life and how, how we assent to things. Like, how do we know something within ourselves? And all of us know that there's more to life than this. All of us, if we sit quietly for a second, we know that there's more, we know we have hopes for to live a life that's happily ever after. We have a desire to give the gift of ourselves. And so I think attending to that and asking those deep questions, even if you're somebody of just goodwill, will help direct you to some, we know we're not made for selfishness. We know that life has an order to it. That's why we love order. So I think there's a natural law, there's a natural way of going about it. But for us as Christians, we know it's ultimately gazing in the face of Christ. He reveals who we are as God him as best says, that Christ reveals man to himself and makes our calling clear. Yeah. Like that's how we know. Yeah, I'm struck by a, a line from George Herbert who mm. describes the human condition as one of repining restlessness. Oh, we never get to the end of, uh, mm -hmm. of the story, but we know there's an end and we know that we're meant to, uh, to enjoy it. It's happy, it's a comedy. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't end up in hell <laughs> unless we choose yes, to yes. go there. Yeah. So we're driven uh, in, in search of something we don't yet have, yes. but we don't give up. Mm -hmm. But maybe the tragedy is so many moderns have given up. They've mm -hmm. settled for mediocrity, something less than sublime. And that's where you come in. Well, I think that's true. And I, I love podcasts. I love listening to social commentators. And I like Sam Harris, like Athey. I just love to, why do people think what they think? And, and I wonder if part of the crisis of what you see as atheism now or materialism now is part of the human heart is so broken and wondering if it's ever going to get better. And it, isn't it easier sometimes just to be like, you know what, this is not going to get better. And so I'm just going to settle here because the pain of hoping is too great or the pain of my story is too great. So I'm going to, in a sense, in a certain sense, like subscribe to a certain ideology because my story is so painful. And the idea that God could love me and come close to me in those places is so hard. I, I, I just wonder about that because I just like, how do people get to where they are? Like, why do they think what they think? Well, this was your own story. Right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, yeah. definitely, in my own story of, of massive childhood trauma, of, of brokenness, of, um, of longing for something more, of being an addict, I'm a recovering addict. And so of coming to those places, you know, one of the ways that God has spoken to, to me is through massive suffering, where I had nowhere else to go. And I sat down so many times and said, there's got to be more to life than this. Like, this can't be the end of the story. And it's not, thank God. And that's yeah. at, the, uh, at the heart of hope is just that. Yeah. That it is not, this is not, this not the end. Start. But what was that moment that, that allows Obviously, you responding to grace mm -hmm. made that turn, but so many people in our culture and the world, they don't make that same turn. So what do you think the struggle or the difficulty or the inability to be able to make that turn to grace or mm -hmm. to respond to grace? 
I know it profoundly came to me through the love of another person. A, a priest came into my life, a wonderfully holy priest who just loved me. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I love the priesthood. I will forever love the priesthood because that yes, <clears throat> excuse me, the yes of that one man came into my life and he revealed the face of Christ to me. Which is why it's so important that all of us must be continually converted because we are the face of God to others. And had he not come into my life, I don't know honestly where I would be. My mom loved me very much. My dad did too. But there was something about that witness of authentic love that... Well, you you admit in your book in this very poignant uh, uh, concession that you thought there were parts of of you that God could not love. Oh, yes. But I guess this priest uh, uh, vanquished that fear, overcame it, and he gave you the face of Christ and said, look, I do love you. There isn't anything about you that uh, should occasion shame or Mm -hmm. crippling doubt or guilt. Yes, and that's what love does. That's what, it's only authentic love that heals broken love. It's never going to be hiding or pretending it doesn't exist, but allowing ourselves to be seen. I mean, isn't that the garden being naked without shame? This is Christ's whole, this is his whole heart for us to bring us to the new garden with him where he's naked on the cross. So we're naked without shame. That's the whole trajectory of the Christian life. And so that is true when authentic love comes into our life. And it's, it's a slow process, right? Because the human heart unfolds over time. But that's exactly what happens. Well, the process itself is obviously lifelong. Yes. And once you recognize that we're always changing from Mm -hmm. infancy to childhood to adolescence, then you can see why conversion is the prescription. Mm -hmm. Ongoing conversion is sort of the one thing I discovered in becoming a Catholic that I'm still discovering Mm -hmm. uh, because you can just change in every which way. And I think once you recognize, okay, I have problems. Our culture has problems. You used to be able to list them. Now you need a catalog or a phone directory, (laughs) you know. And so the weight of the gravity of the of the problems we face are so great. We kind of are tempted to think, well, we've got to solve our problems in order to get to Christ, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And yet when you look up, you realize that the polarity is almost reversed, that the simplicity of Jesus' love, his unconditional love, his sacrificial gift, the fact that we are Christ-centered, that he alone reveals us to ourselves, he alone can fix us. You know, it's like Humpty Dumpty trying to put himself back together again. It's just too much of a mess. Mm And yet, you know, I'm also impatient with our Lord because I would like to get over these things yeah. and just have it, have these problems fixed by, okay, if I'm not going to do it, then you do it. Mm-hmm. But it's that long lifetime of, of conversion, oh, you know, and, and so many moments where you have a Via Dolorosa, mm-hmm. you're like, oh no, not this again, you yes. know. Yeah. Sure, but there has to be somewhere along that journey, there, the beginning point where we recognize our brokenness. and. And just having dealt with in my own life and, and so yeah. many young people and students, that, that that's a frightening, terrifying oh, moment. Yes. That, that that moment that we realize, oh my goodness, uh, I, I messed up, I'm confused, I'm hurt, or even to look at something that you don't want to look at. Mm-hmm. So how do you speak to that in, in encouragement and telling them they're going to be okay yes. to look at that? That's terrifying, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for most it of is. us, which is, is why we... And I think that's, yeah. that's why people drink. That's why, because yeah. they don't want to do that. Yeah, and that's why we wear facades. That's why we manage life well. And I think, I know all of us have, you know, in counseling, they talk about presenting symptoms of like the question of why am I doing what I'm doing? Like, are there patterns in my life where I am reacting a certain way or that I act a certain way? Or, and looking at those areas where the Holy Spirit is saying, I want to speak to you because the presenting symptoms are just symptoms. It's really the root. It's the root of that. And I think... That's a good point. Just real quick. What would some of those presenting symptoms be? What um, does that look like? 
everything from addiction to self-righteousness to pretending to um, deceit to lust to anger, all the ways that we just navigate our lives in in a desperate attempt of not having to open up the deepest parts of us because that's so scary. It's just so incredibly scary. And so we try to navigate that and we try to push that away. But then what happens is those things don't go away. We just compensate for them. And we, we end up living kind of a more of a shallow life versus a life broken wide open. And I think any of us in our lives, when we think about the people we admire most, People we admire most usually are people that have gone through tremendous suffering, that are fearless, that are loyal, that may have fallen, but they've gotten back up again. People that are are open-hearted, that are fierce in their love for God, that love their spouse or whatever. It's just like that. It's the revelation of the human person. It's the opening of the heart, but which for us is can be it can be terrifying. And so I think allowing ourselves that space to go before the Lord and people that love us, because we need both, of saying, hey, you know, here's what's happening, or somebody saying to us, hey, here's what I'm seeing, and I... You know, and that's one thing, Dr. Hom, when I was at your conferences last summer, when I was at the Defending the Faith conference, and what you're speaking about this journey of conversion, that's one of the things I love about that you talk about your marriage with your wife, because that's what's happening is that her love and your love, it's you guys are healing each other. And like, it's this beautiful journey of, and you talked about some of the sorrowful moments just in your life as, as a married couple, but, and that's, that's how it works. It's the tender journey of a lifetime of love that brings us to to become the best that God is calling us to be. And that's, it's a beautiful analogy. You gotta warn me before you say that. You kind of choked <laughs> it's up. It's true. I mean, it's like, yeah. you have no idea how much truer it is yep. than I could put into a talk. I mean, yeah. but it's, it's, it's also true, I suspect, in your community. I mean, where you have relationships that are commitments, you know, yep. covenants, if you will. Yes. You know, those are, in a certain sense, bound to be crosses. But at the same time, they will affect what the cross affected. And that is uh, a brokenness where you feel like, I'm shattered. I can't believe I would do that to her. I can't believe that she would do that to me. And then when you come together and you learn forgiveness, it's so much easier to avoid deep repentance, deep forgiveness. Mm -hmm. You know, I know of couples that are just experts at just postponing that. And, and sweeping it under the rug and all of that. And we've tried that too, you know? <laughs> yeah. But in the process, I, I, I've never known friendship, but I've also never known forgiveness and brokenness. And yeah, I mean, our, our wedding officiated by my father-in-law mm-hmm. to be. And he said, Kimberly, you're gonna be the primary instrument of grace for Scott. Mm-hmm. Scott, you're gonna be the primary instrument of grace for Kimberly. And he had no sacramental theology but he was exactly right because he knew Christ. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, it isn't like Christ or the sacraments, it's Christ therefore the sacraments, but Christ, the sacraments, the saints, and all of the other things that we need to be fixed along the path of life. Yeah, yeah but especially friendship. Yeah. When you mentioned that idea right, right. of a friendship with a priest, yeah. I mean, that is so often oh. a breakthrough moment. It is. And, and not just the one, but then a sign that points to other Amen. breakthrough sure. moments. Mm-hmm. I remember a touching story. I was dealing with a student who didn't believe that they were loved. And they said, I've never experienced love. And I said, yeah, never experienced <laughs> yeah. love. And he just went on and shared a story. Well, maybe one time there was a, a youth minister and he said he was really, really busy, but he took a break from his busyness and took me out for an ice cream. It was such a simple, right? Love such a simple thing. And yet when he now thinks of love, he thinks of somebody who took a few mo- yes. moments and took them yeah. out for ice cream. But yeah. in our busyness, sometimes we don't, we're not even aware of the people around us. And, so and you, your story is so significant because there was the priest and other people mm-hmm. who were willing to engage you and willing to enter into the messiness yes. and 
there, this is, goes, it's reciprocated. You're willing to allow somebody to come into that as well. Yeah. Oh, I mean, this uh, ability and, and willingness to bestow a smile, something as, as yes. small a gesture as that can yeah. be life-changing. It's so true. But also forgiveness. I, mm -hmm. I, I, you're too young to remember that silly movie from the 70s, Love Story. Okay. Uh, and the, the mantra was, love is never having to say you're sorry. Oh, gosh. Which is complete claptrap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always yeah. having to say you're yeah. sorry. But I mean, this is no different from AA. You begin yep. by acknowledging yep. your brokenness. Yep. I can't fix it. Yep. So you throw yourself upon the mercy of this higher power yes. who steps into your life yep. and makes a change, even if it's just an ice cream cone. No, Amen. but, but that, again, it's, it's been stated, that point of recognizing our brokenness. I mean, that's part of Lent, is, is this, yeah. th that we're invited to recognize and take a look and, mm -hmm. and self-reflect. But that's a scary proposition. Yeah. We just invite you to stay with us. We've got a lot more to say here on University Presents. When I think of forgiveness and healing in the life of St. Francis of Assisi, I think of his uh, poem, uh, The Canticle of the Creatures. And in that beautiful canticle where he praises the Lord for creation, he actually added two verses when he heard that the mayor of the city and the bishop were in conflict with each other. He added these verses and had them sung before the bishop and the mayor himself. And the verses basically were this, Praise be you, my Lord, for those who pardon for love of you and bear infirmity and tribulation. So in his most famous, maybe, of poems, he speaks of forgiveness and healing and brings it into the life of those in conflict. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith and reason, wisdom and grace, mercy and truth. You'll study under world-class scholars and seasoned practitioners who are committed to Christ and His Church. With over 40 majors and pre-professional programs, you'll find the formation you need to succeed. At Franciscan University, you'll find more than just a college. You'll find yourself and an educational experience as singular as you are. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We're talking about healing and forgiveness with Sister Miriam James Heidland. It's so great to have you here. The, much of your book talks about healing and the need for healing, but I think that it's important for us to talk that that's everybody's story, mm -hmm. right? It's like, oh, the, this is a good book for those people who need healing, but, <laughs> right? How comfortable would that be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's life this side of the fall. Yeah. That's from the garden when we're broken in our relationship with God within ourselves and others. And that's the whole, what Christ comes. Christ comes to bring us into communion with the Father. So Christ comes to bring every single one of us into communion and all the parts where we're fragmented and isolated. Every single one of us is fragmented and isolated. And his whole heart for us is to bring us all into communion, to be integrated and whole and bring us into the heart of the Father. So that's for all of us. Yeah, all mm -hmm. of us manifest it differently, but all of us, you know, need oh, the restoration yeah. of the human person. That's why Christ came to restore us. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do uh, is, is juxtapose the image of Eden alongside what yes. we've got today. And, yes. and your description, they're, they're I, I think, is, is quite lapidary that here's a situation in which you don't fear uh, being betrayed and you have no desire to betray. Uh, that's 
wonderful human flourishing. Yeah. But then we blew it, we squandered all of that, and now we're stuck with the brokenness. Mm -hmm. So how do we commence to heal that, mm -hmm. to knit those fragmented parts? Mm -hmm. Write a book? Mm. <laughs> you don't have to do that, thank <laughs> God. All of us can go before the Lord and ask Him for His grace and mercy. And a part of that is knowing our story. You know, we talk about the story that God writes. God writes a story in every single human person, right. every single human person. And his story is sovereign and it's supreme. And he writes the story. He's the author of the story. And, but all of us have narratives, right? Narratives of that story where <clears throat> suffering has come in, where suffering comes in and says, God doesn't care about you. Nobody cares about you. Where Satan comes in to camp out in the foundations of our soul, like St. Ignatius Loyola talks about, where he, you know, is like an astute military general and patrols the borders of our soul. And so we have these areas of our life where suffering many times has come into our life and we're left to ourselves. We, we create a narrative out of it. Either I'm not loved, I'm not lovable, nobody knows me, I have to take care of myself, I can't be vulnerable. And so what we do is, as children, we learn how to survive, we're very smart. And so we build these elaborate self-defense mechanisms to survive, and then what happens is we, we grow up as adults and they become a shield against love versus an opening toward love. Yeah. Mm. And so that's exactly where yeah. Jesus I guess that's the real fake news that we, yes. we sure, need sure, to be sure. disabused of. I'm yes. not the sum of my mistakes, Amen. my sorrows. Mm. I'm not even the sum of my victories. Yes. I'm loved as I am because Amen. I reflect the image of God. Yes. But sister, speak to that because you're referencing all of these lies. And yet, if you hear that lie over and over and over, Yep. It becomes true for you. Yes. So how how does the Lord, or, or how can you help people uh, allow the Lord to break into that and mm -hmm. speak the word of truth when the sun sets us free, we're free indeed, right? So how yes. does that, what does that look like? How does that happen? Um, it happens through a variety of ways. I think, first of all, it's naming it. So we have to know our story. So we have to know the chapters of our story and be very honest about what, what happened and, and the toll that it's taken and the pain. Because I, I find, I, just because I do a lot of trauma study and just reading books about trauma and how it affects the brain, trauma is literally stored in the brain. Right. It's stored in our cells. That's why when you have a certain interactions with people, you have an intrinsic reaction. It's because it's, it's fascinating how the brain works. Now the brain is always trying to keep us safe. So I think just coming before the Lord and people that love us and saying, hey, this happened to me. And not trying to like, oh, my parents did the best they could. Yes, they did. Okay, but here's what's happened to me. And here's, here's what happened. And here's the story. And there's a power of just learning. I, I work a lot with Dr. Bob Schutz in, the, in his John Paul II Healing Center and learning about how the will enters into agreements and how the will comes out of agreements. But challenging those thoughts in the name of Jesus Christ of, of the lies that say, I'm not lovable, that God doesn't love me. And asking the Lord, because God is, you know, he lives outside of time, which means that God is present at every moment of our life, even now, which means there's not one moment I mean, it's staggering to think of. There's not one moment of our life where God isn't present. And if God is present and God is love, that means healing can happen at every moment of our life. Even if something that happened at five years old, God was there. So what, 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 what is his story versus the narrative mm -hmm. that was even told to us by other people, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, this idea that we're not the sum of our failures, that yes. we can get over our fears. You know, I would like to introduce a, a kind of ingredient into this recipe, though, that will spice it up a little, perhaps, and that is, you know, we actually have an option. Uh, when we recognize our failures, we could then say, yeah, I am the sum of those who have victimized me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the victim narrative is a kind of alternate path, a yes. left turn is. Mm -hmm. that is tempting to take because then suddenly I can exercise my freedom in terms of self-justification, mm -hmm. that my failures are the result of other people who have targeted yeah. Yeah. me. Yes. Absolutely. And I, I find that that in, ends up being a kind of black hole through oh, which yes. people are passing. The alternative is to look at 
the victim, mm -hmm. the real victim, Christ, mm -hmm. who in his suffering is the victor, you know. And so healing is healing from, but even more, it's healing for. Mm -hmm. That is health, not just Amen. overcoming sickness, you know. And that's what I think Christ alone can provide. And in a certain sense, the season of Lent is perfect for that, oh, yeah. precisely because we're preparing by our afflictions, minor or major, for that moment when we hear at the Easter Vigil, Felix Culpa, oh. he's not just taking us back to Eden, he's not just returning us to Calvary. There really is a sense in which we find in Christ, we have fallen in Adam, but in Christ we have fallen upward. Mm -hmm. We end up being better off in him than we would have been if Adam hadn't fallen. And it's like, that's good news. That's not just healing <laughs> yeah. from sin. Amen. That is healing for a divine health, yes. a divinization that yeah. still sort of defies our yeah. imaginations. I love that because Christianity ultimately is not behavior modification or right. sin management. Yeah, exactly. It is a complete transformation unto glory. I mean, the resurrected king is resurrecting us and he's bringing us into communion. So our wounds are no longer signs of victimhood, but they shine with the glory of Christ. So that's the whole, that's the whole restoration. So when we, li we live in our brokenness, what happens is we're living at such a truncated level of humanity versus allowing Christ to bring all of it to life and all of it comes out before him and our wounds shine with his love. Yeah. And in, in the resurrection, like, isn't that how the disciples knew him? Like Thomas, like I wanna- And there's peace in the midst of that. Amen. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, uh, two things uh, occur to me. One is that when you sit down with, with Jesus, there's no affectation. You don't have to pretend. No. You don't have to stage manage yes. this. He knows you. He looks right through you. Yes. Nothing will surprise him. So that. you don't have to circumvent uh, or, or invent things. Uh, the other point is when you show him your wounds, uh, he wants to show you his. Uh, and he looks at you uh, as pierced and crucified, which means you can identify with him. He's not the judge, he's the savior. He's the one who suffers, sure. who bled for you. Yes. I mean, that makes him infinitely approachable, yeah. attractive. And, yes. and when he looks at us that way, it's, it's always that he looks on us with love. Always. That, that I think sometimes people feel like they're a project that needs to be yeah. fixed. Mm -hmm. And that's not how the Lord looks at us, right? It's like, I got his love, his mercy, his goodness, does in fact not only fix us, it makes dead people alive. It's not just a question of fixing something, it's transformational. But I think there's that part that we have a tendency even sometimes to look at one another as this is a project that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Rather, and you, you speak to that. That's so true. My spiritual director will tell me that when I get off on a kick of like all the things that I think God still needs to do in my life. And he's so wonderful and he will just stop me right there and he'll say, Sister Miriam, you are not a problem to be fixed. Yeah. You're a person to be loved. Yeah. And I love that. St. Julian of Norwich says, when God sees our sin, he sees our pain. Like, right. and so he, I mean, and I love, cause he, he unites himself with us. Like you talk about a tender lover, like he, right. he's taken on all of our brokenness. He's taken on the tender parts of our heart. He, he's so beautiful. Right. Well, there's so that beautiful. scene uh, yeah. in, in the revelations of, of Dame Julian where Jesus comes with this hazelnut mm. uh, and she wonders, she marvels at this. How could something so small, so fragile not fall out of being? Yeah. And Jesus says, look, I love it. I created it, I sustain it. And, and then she exclaims at the end of this colloquy, I am held so tightly by you mm. that between the two of us, there's no space except that space of freedom. Yeah. I mean, she's always free to move away. He's not gonna move away. Mm. He's always there. Yes. Yeah. That's so sort of pressing the doorbell mm -hmm. of her heart. Yeah. I think in the divine economy of salvation, I have a a very dear friend who has had massive trauma, massive, massive trauma in their life. 
And they shared with me one time that what Jesus was showing them, it was a profound revelation of only Christ himself could reveal this. But he was saying to my friend that, he said, when I allowed the trauma in your life, what I was doing was I was enlarging your heart to love like me. And he said, every part of your heart where the narrative is being pushed out and my love is coming in, is just breaking your heart open to love just like I do. And I, that is like, how do you, how do you even respond to that? Right. Like it's, well, you think oh, of Philip so Neary, who in the autopsy after his death, it was discovered yeah. that his heart was about the size of a Volkswagen. <laughs> I mean, he, it, he, there was an exchange. He now yes. carries uh, the heart of Jesus and it beats with a divine love mm-hmm. through this human agency. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Amazing. So he must have given his whole life yes. to Jesus and not his problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when people listen to the passion narrative at the climax of Lent, they're going to find out that someone else went through massive trauma. Yeah. I mean, and it's not just to feel pity for Jesus, it's to recognize how he identifies with us because I think I've gone through minor traumas. Sure. They didn't feel minor at the time. Mm-hmm. But when you reflect upon what he voluntarily underwent, you know, it's not just transforming bread and wine into his body. It's transforming bread and wine into his resurrected body. I think people need to remember, be reminded that though it is the same body that hung on the cross and was buried in the tomb, you know, it is the resurrected Lord who comes to us to show us that he has turned, you know, pain into passion. Suffering has become a sacrifice because he's not losing his life, he's giving it. He's not just resuscitating us, he is divinizing us. You know, it's almost too much for our brains and our hearts to contain. Because it, it, it is, yeah, it really <laughs> is. But it's like, you, you don't have to figure it out. You know, I like to say we're not say we're saved by Christ, not Christology. Mm. That doesn't devalue Christology. It makes it even more exciting, but it subordinates it to a mystery that you can never exhaust or fully comprehend. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in the introduction to your book, uh, Christopher West has this glorious line mm-hmm. from Saint Augustine. Mm-hmm that if you lose yourself in your passions, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a sin, but it's less of a sin than to lose your passion. <laughs> what you need to do is give over your passion yes. to Christ. Amen. This divine passion, mm-hmm. don't lose it, don't, don't mm-hmm. dissipate it, but elevate it, mm-hmm. baptize it, right, right. hand it over to mm-hmm. Christ and watch what he can do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, he does, he brings us to life. I mean, Christ comes to heal us both in excess or defect. Yeah. And many times defect looks a lot more holy in Christian circles, <laughs> so we can't out there, but it's the whole, it's the bringing to life the human person in full living color, in full resurrected color, and that's exactly, I mean, honestly, even now, like, I don't, we talk about, like, controlling parts of our heart. I don't even ask for that anymore. I just ask the Lord, Lord, please transform this part of my heart and give me the spirit of self-control and the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, you come transform this, transform this desire, transform this hope, transform this sorrow, and then give me back, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that spirit of self-control so that I can live fully, I want to live fully alive. I want to live love in full dimensions, fully alive. Like, I don't want anything less than that. Yeah, because the person Jesus can't reach is the guy who's already dead. Yeah. But he's still walking around. Nobody's told him. But he he exhibits this fatal lack of desire. Yes. He doesn't have any passion. So how can God baptize it? Mm -hmm. You know, it's a good point that we are so afraid of our passion. Ah, so true. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it really is holy passion that saves us. But it's a passion. I'm reminded of this whenever we do the Divine Chaplet, the Divine Mercy Chaplet, for the sake of his sorrowful passion. Mm. You know, it seems to me that sorrowful passion is the antidote to the lustful passion that degrades and darkens. Mm-hmm. It isn't passion that's the enemy. Amen. It's settling for the counterfeit. Yes. You know, and 
And so the sorrowful passion shows us that he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, not just his own, but ours. Mm -hmm. And that when he allows us to go through sorrows, as opposed to just lustful passion, we can enter into a sorrowful passion that is so much more transforming in an authentic way. Yeah. All, all of which is true, but we can speak to this because we know the one and have encountered the one who yeah. loves us. Yeah. The, the reality is, is this is profoundly frightening again. It goes back to this. I remember uh, somebody was taking me to the airport one time and I was talking about this living passions fully alive. Mm -hmm. And she very clearly said, I don't want to live like that. Mm. And she said, if I live like that, um, people can see me and they can shoot at me oh, and they can tear me down. Yeah. And the, the, she has literally built this wall mm. between her and life and mm -hmm. her and, and I've just, I just shared with her that I'm grateful that Jesus didn't choose to go that right, yeah, where, yeah. that he entered into the messiness and begins to reveal to us and show to us what does it look like to be alive, to fully be alive. Yeah. So we just rejoice in this. So we want to just take a moment and we'll be back with more Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. So this summer I experienced a lot of healing in my relationship with my dad. Um, there are some hurts there from our relationship and it's been rocky, but um, I decided to go to counseling with him and in the counseling and in prayer I realized that my heart had been really hard towards him and I wasn't trying to forgive him, though I thought I was. And so um, since then I've felt a lot of healing, a lot of ease of anxiety, um, and it's been really great going forward from there. Welcome back and thank you for joining us. You're watching Franciscan University Presents and we're coming from the Com Arts Studio here on the campus of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Our students are operating the cameras and all the equipment. Members of our theology faculty, Dr. Regis Martin and Dr. Scott Hahn, are guiding us in our discussion about healing and forgiveness with speaker and author, Sister Miriam. Sister Mary, you've talked a lot about healing and the, and the desire of the Lord's heart to heal us. Mm -hmm. That's hard, you know, to, to enter into that. And you talked earlier, Dr. Han, about this process of conversion. We wish it would be like that, but healing takes work mm -hmm. and it's not always easy. Mm -hmm. It's probably never easy. <laughs> Let's speak to that, yeah. It's a lifelong journey because love is a lifelong journey. Yeah. And love, I can't tell you how many times in my own journey, but also because I hear so many stories of people saying, I've, re I've already revisited this. Like, why do I have to keep going back here? And what we don't understand many times is healing like love is not linear. It's cyclical often. It's like, it's, you know, you can use whatever analogy you want, the onion, but it's also like the puzzle where just different pieces are coming together. But because love is always healing us, that means our, our journey is always a deepening journey of love. And so whenever the Holy Spirit brings something to the surface that He wishes to encounter us in, it's always out of love because He desires a more tender communion with us and for us to be free to enter into that as well. My yeah. phone was dead the other week and uh, Kimberly used her phone for GPS. She has this GPS program that is not updated. Oh. And so it was, it was really frustrating because all it told you was the next turn. Oh. You couldn't kind of fast forward just yeah, to yeah. see the whole yeah. journey, you know? Yeah. You know? Like <laughs> and it's just like, this is exactly what it's like to walk with Christ. Yes. You know, all you see is what's coming up no. next, you know? I love that the, the psalmist says, the Lord's the lamp unto our feet. We want him to be the light in the that's path, right. yeah. but he's just the lamp unto our feet, and we have yeah. to be comfortable with that. But that takes trust. Mm. Well, we want to Faith? control. That's the thing is we want to control. <laughs> we want to control the outcomes. We want to control the journey because we're afraid. And, but what Jesus does is he comes to, to speak but, to us. Yeah, the recognition that it's uh, 
Christ, who is love, yeah. who shepherds us uh, yes. along the way, even if we don't see uh, the end of the journey, we know he's with us yeah. along the way. Yeah. So that, I think, gives us a certain confidence, mm -hmm. a moral certainty that he won't abandon me, mm -hmm. he won't toss me away. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he loves me, he's a passion, uh, an eros. I mean, yeah. Dante tells us at the end of the Divine Comedy that it is this love that moves yeah the stars and the heavens and the planets, not an impersonal principle, mm -hmm. uh, not a force, a cosmic force, but a person yes. who has a name. Yes. This but it's certainly something we can't control. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. That God, kind yeah. of love is so far beyond wow. our control. Mm -hmm. You know, I like to think of myself as not being a control freak. Mm -hmm. You know, I would, I would pay extra for turbulence. I love it. <laughs> I loved roller coasters growing up. My kids know, yeah. you know, I don't rock climb anymore because of the temptation just to let go, you yes. know. But at the same time, I can find that I am repressing my fears, suppressing them. I remember when my son was in uh, Assisi and he had just recovered from appendicitis operation and then suddenly it just went sideways and we were going to have to go to an emergency. I was in the hospital, mm. emergency surgery, and it was like 10 p.m. I was alone with him, crying. He was just screaming in pain. And I was on my knees in total darkness praying. I'm like, what's wrong here? And our, our Lord just kind of asked me, what are you afraid of? And I'm like, oh. you've got to be kidding. Oh, wow. you know, what am I afraid yes. of? Losing my son who's yes. seven, you know? Yeah. And uh, what else are you afraid of? And then like two or three hours later, the room was suddenly filled with saints, you know, St. Francis there in Assisi and St. Clara and others, but he peeled back this onion, layer of fear after layer of fear. Mm -hmm. He showed me in my marriage, mm -hmm. in my work, in my friendships, in every area of life. And after about an hour or two, I realized I wasn't showing him anything he didn't already know. He was, he was showing me he was layers really of fears that controlled me so much more than I ever realized. Mm -hmm. And it was liberating, and I'd like to say ever since then I've never been <laughs> feared. <you know? laughs> right. I ain't so, you know. Yeah. But it was it was one of those moments where you go back to and it's like, okay, what are the fears that are controlling me now yes. that I'm not even aware of? Right. You know, cast your fears and anxieties yeah. upon me. Just in, in my dealing with so many people over the years, I think one of the fears that they have is they're not positive God can do it. Mm. Mm. You know, they're not positive that God could do it, or they're not positive that they can respond in a way that's going to allow. Yeah. Can you speak to that, just yeah. in, in growing in faith and really mm -hmm. coming to understand that God does want to heal us, and by the power yes. of His grace and His Holy Spirit, He can heal yes. us. Yes. He does that, and we know that because as exemplified in the Scriptures, Christ wants to heal us. His desire is to heal us. Like, we read the Gospels, so we know that He wants to heal us, um, and we don't always understand how that happens, but us opening our hearts and all of our wounds and our fears and our life to the Lord, it's, it's, it's an invitation, because like you said, I mean, it's, we're not telling something to God something He doesn't already know, but there's a process of invitation where love can be opened, and God also, I truly believe, God sends help in all different ways. He does it directly at times. Sometimes he sends us good friends. He sends us uh, counselors. I highly believe in finding a good counselor to help us through books or just the way that he's revealing the human person that we know through science. And just God is just opening the doors for all of us to be healed. And I think when we allow that process to take place and we keep showing up again and again and again, what, he find out, what we find out is that God is who He says He is. Can I yeah. just say one word? My father was a physician, so I was raised in a family. and Dad was part of healing people. Mm -hmm. 
And yet I think there is a stigma among some about going to counseling. If I just had enough faith, oh. and just, can you just speak to that? Because I know that yes. that's the case for many that people. is such a stigma, unfortunately, because if you had any other illness, you would go to a specialist. And these right. people are specialists in the human heart. They're specialists in how the brain works, and they help us. So definitely, um, I, I highly recommend that all the time, yeah. like to yeah. find a good counselor, somebody who's equipped to, to walk with you as a friend on the journey of like, somebody who's outside that space to say, hey, here's what I'm noticing. Like When this happens, you say this to yourself, or when you are in relationship with this person, this is what happens, or I notice that you have this huge trauma in your life that you've never talked about. Would you Would you just like to open that up? And mm-hmm. there's, I mean, a good counselor, I've had many in my life, and they have been such wonderful friends on the journey, and I'm grateful for every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's really central to a Catholic uh, a vision. Yes. That grace works through nature. Oh, I mean, yes. It, you know, it doesn't obliterate it. No. Right? It, it, it doesn't displace it, but mm-hmm. it divinizes it, yeah. perfects it. Uh, and that requires patience on our part. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may not happen uh, all at once. Mm-hmm. I'm a work in progress, mm-hmm. a, a, a building site yeah. that's not yet fully constructed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't like to do that because yeah. we have this Promethean urge. We think uh, we have to deserve it. We have to sort of uh, build our so resume true. so, so that God is impressed by what mm-hmm. we've done. He's not at all impressed. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to add that counsel is itself one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so we need the Holy Spirit, but we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we need them to be mediated in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, when you were sharing a minute ago about this, I was reminded of what, you know, 30 years ago kept our marriage together. I thought, well, once Kimberly becomes Catholic, it's happy days are here again. We had developed so many bad habits Mm -hmm. of communication. You know, I know that our marriage was just teetering on the brink. And so we finally took the advice of good friends to go to a good Catholic marriage counselor. I went alone, she went alone, then we finally went. And I don't know where we would be Mm -hmm. without that. I mean, it was the breakthrough. I remember dealing with a student that that very clearly said that he felt like he was giving up, like he was, Mm -hmm. like he'd lost the fight by going. And it said, no, 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 that just isn't the case. And, And I think what you said, Regis, is so important is, is that God uses that. He uses men and women and the gifts and the talents that he's given them to bring us freedom and healing. So I just think that's so, so key. And to your point, I, you know, Dr. Or, um, C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, mm-hmm. he says, we are, he says, it's such a great quote. He says, we are in truth, not metaphorically, but in truth, yeah. a divine masterpiece, right. something that God is making right. and something with which he will not be satisfied till it has a certain character. Right. And I just love that analogy of a masterpiece that takes time and the artist knows what tools and he knows where to put the shade and where to put the light. And that, just that reality of God is in the making, and sometimes his tools, we don't understand them, but his heart is for us as a masterpiece. You know? yeah. Yeah. Great. Sister, could you maybe say a word or two about the relationship between healing and forgiveness? Mm-hmm. Uh, healing and forgiveness, are they go hand in hand. Uh, one of the biggest stumbling blocks that people have to healing fully is areas of unforgiveness okay. in life, and that is not... That's, that's a whole nother show we could do on forgiveness, sure, sure. but um, that is paramount to healing physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, it, that the holding on to the debt of somebody else and demanding repayment and refusing to allow them, uh, to, refusing to surrender that to God is a huge impediment. And what it does is it masquerades as self-protection, where I, for one of the reasons why I stayed addicted and sick for so long is because of that very thing. I had a profound misunderstanding of what forgiveness was. I thought it was letting you off the hook. I thought it was just saying, oh, I forgive you. It's not a big deal. Um, but there were things that were a very big deal. And, and 
through going through a huge understanding of process, which requires us forgiveness, as you know, requires us to take a full account of the debt. Mm-hmm. And it is it is vulnerable and it is honest and it is us going before the cross and really like the unforgiving steward, like releasing our grasp where we have people in the, the throttle of the shirt, like we're choking them saying, pay back what you owe. Yeah. People can't. Like people can't ultimately pay us back. And so it's it's you know, like Aquinas says, it's really giving a gift. It's like releasing our grasp and giving a gift to that person and demanding nothing in return and commending that God will take care of the justice. Sure, sure. But that those areas of unforgiveness, oh my dear friends, those are killers. Those will kill us. Yeah. You know, there's a moment of truth that comes as a very small grace, and that is honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, where you're not forgiving somebody or you're not forgiving a lot of people. Uh, but you have to be honest and say, I'm not just the victim. I am withholding forgiveness. Yeah. It's like that guy who came to you and said, I've given up. Right. You know, it's one thing to give up. It's another thing to admit surrender. it. Surrender. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because even, even before you surrender, just admitting right. that you yeah. can't forgive. Yes. Yeah. Admitting yeah. that you've given up right. is to me the flashpoint. Yeah. That's precisely where the Lord will say, okay, I can take it from here. Yes. Just let me in. Yeah. One of the, the yeah. penances I've given over the years is to take a blank piece of paper and I forgive for yeah. this, this journey and process and really allowing the Holy Spirit to lead that. It's yep. not just me trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's allowing the Spirit of Jesus to be able to speak to that. Then that there is a grace in this decision to forgive. Yes. You know, the heart, I often say the heart follows. Yep. It, it often doesn't lead with that. Amen. Yeah. But yeah. It, it mustn't become a cheap grace. Oh, no, it can't no, no, be. no. Uh, it can't. C.S. Lewis has a great uh, passage where he talks about the the little frivolous people who who think that uh, great sin doesn't really matter. They're insensible to it. But those others uh, who feel deeply a sense of outrage in the face of evil, who, you know, who look at Hitler and are monstrously uh, uh, moved to condemn him, those people are human. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to feel uh, that, that sense of, of outrage, mm-hmm. the injustice uh, done by the wicked, uh, does argue to a kind of moral insensibility that's really hard to uh, rescue, mm-hmm. uh, to redeem. So you've got to feel the oh, depth yeah. of the sure, denial, sure. but then you have to reach into it mm-hmm. as Jesus does and, mm-hmm. and heal it, mm-hmm. dissolve it mm-hmm. in the tears of, uh, of his love. Mm-hmm. And that takes a supernatural mm-hmm. uh, impetus. Mm-hmm. Oh, it does. And it only comes through the grace of Christ on the cross. I am convinced it only comes from there. And it, and it is, many times it does take time because you know, many times, you know, you hear stories of people, I've been trying to give my father for years or whatever that is. But what we don't understand is we have to forgive wound by wound. Right. So it's it's the, when he didn't pay attention to me. It was when he, and that for us might seem painstaking, but it's those very things where they're like opening layers of our hearts where we can choose forgiveness from them. But it does, it comes from the grace of Christ. Yeah. We, we can't do it on our own. One of the things can't. I'm always interested or amazed by is praying and praying with somebody for forgiveness. Yes. And they'll often say, well, this doesn't make any sense, or this wasn't yes. that big of a deal. And I'm yep. saying, okay, here we are 30 years later, yep. and you're saying, this so isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. But to be able to recognize it mm-hmm. and see that, that in fact mm-hmm. is. Uh, what, one, maybe a word about forgiveness. Um, the most difficult person to forgive is often ourselves. Oh, yes. So can you just speak to that, sister? Yes. Uh, many times we're the person, we have ourselves in the collar of our shirt. And um, usually underneath that is a tremendous sense of shame, of pain, yeah. Yeah. of like, how could I have done that? Or I, I can't, you know. And so it's really allowing the grace that we would allow other people, allowing that grace for ourselves. Like, Lord, I am still struggling with this. Please help me to forgive myself. Like, help me to release this grasp upon myself mm-hmm. and help me to r- let the pain come out of like our areas that I've shamed that I have. That's very true. And 
quite frankly, other people are just really angry with God. Mm. And many times we have to, you know, theologically, we know it doesn't work like that. But like in our hearts, we many people are angry at God because they let, you know, they feel like God allowed their child to die. And so they have these huge barriers of like, they need to have a real conversation with God about that. And he would love to have that, you know, sure. of, in a sense, like forgiving, like right, that whole that relationship too. So those are paramount areas that we have to look at in our lives, you know. And some of that is done in, in a personal, just quiet stillness. Yes. Maybe just real briefly, a word about prayer and being able to yes. love the Lord speak to that. Yes, and I think it is going before the Lord. And, and I oftentimes in forgiveness meditation of, of bringing ourselves to the foot of the cross and just allowing ourselves to go to Calvary and seeing Him there with His face. His face is so tender. Mm -hmm. And allowing that process to take place and being okay with it. It happens over and over and over again because that's what love does. Yeah. Thank you. Up next, our panel and our guest will have their final thoughts for today's topic. Stay with us. A lot of different wounds and uh, repetitive um, problems in high school. Uh, confession was one of the ways I was always taught. That I was able to get those sins forgiven. Um, and it really wasn't until I got into college that I started to realize the actual power of forgiveness that comes with confession. And that was really transformative for me, especially in college and still now into my life. Um, confession has become a staple of my spiritual life. Um, it continues to heal me every time I go. Um, it's the, the well without fail that brings mercy into my life. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our final segment. So Regis, if you would start us off with a final thought. Yeah, uh, well, I think it should begin with a, a, a gesture of thanksgiving for mm -hmm. coming. You've said so many marvelous things and your book uh, is, is studded uh, with insight, chock mm -hmm. full of lovely, consoling uh, mm -hmm. uh, thoughts. Uh, one in particular uh, stands out because uh, I can relate to it uh, mm -hmm. because I spent uh, four years in Rome and I often saw this painting by Caravaggio. Oh, yes. And the last two years we lived at Piazza Navona, which is only about a five minute jaunt. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would oftentimes pop in I had coins, so I could <laughs> light, light that yeah. uh, uh, film. And it, it's, it's such a metaphor uh, for the human condition, the Christian way of life. Here's Jesus with his outstretched arm, his finger pointed at the tax collector mm -hmm. to summon him as if his whole life, uh, his whole being was meant for that moment uh, to be somehow invited uh, uh, to God, mm -hmm. by God. And the gaze of Jesus is, is a gaze of love and intensity mm -hmm. of attention. And, and you're, you're really struck by the fact that Caravaggio, I mean, this troubled man yes. who was really a kind of crook, a, a murderer even, a violent man. His hands were broken by sin, yet he is the one who executes this vision. He got inside somehow the perspective of Christ and could see it from this divine vantage point. And, uh, it, it tells us ab about the human condition, the Christian yeah. pilgrimage. We're, we're on a journey to God. Yeah. The other image, but it's not in your book, but it's in Rome. Mm -hmm. It's not far from the church of, of St. Francis, and that's the Pantheon, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, th this original pagan monument, mm -hmm. massive. I mean, Michelangelo studied it so that he could produce the dome of St. Peter's Basilica. But, but the striking thing about it is there's no ceiling. It's wide open mm -hmm. as if it invites the gods mm -hmm. to come down and gives permission to man to aspire uh, to the heavens, to leap right through the ozone. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we're supposed to do. Give God 
ourselves. He gave us being so that we might return it to him. Mm -hmm. and, and we do so with a kind of humility, mm -hmm. acknowledging our brokenness, mm -hmm. our nothingness, but with a confidence knowing that God can change it all uh, to glory. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, Regis. Mm -hmm. Scott. I want to echo the gratitude for loved as I am. You know, I've seen you at Seek and at Defending the Faith and other places too. And there's a living voice in that book that is such a gift. Uh, I'm, I'm, th I'm struck by two thoughts. You know, at the end of the last segment, we were talking about people who are angry with God. I think of, even though it's Lent, you know, you can fast forward to Easter Sunday when Jesus seemed to kind of waste hours and hours walking on the road to Emmaus mm. with Clopas and his friend. And it begins, are you the only visitor in all of Jerusalem who doesn't know about, who doesn't understand what's happened? Mm. You know, I just want to press pause and rewind and say, gentlemen, he is the only one yeah. in Jerusalem who does understand, mm. you know, the anger, the displeasure, the disappointment, the darkness that has enveloped you, you know, he alone understands mm. why this was allowed and what he did to overcome it. And I just feel as though our Lord wants to kind of play with us in a patient and merciful way, but it can be a nuisance to wait hours and hours to go through scripture mm -hmm. before he discloses his identity in the breaking of the Eucharistic mm -hmm. bread. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the second thought is, you know, as Jesus is patient with us, we ought to be patient with him. Uh, but we also ought to ask him to possess us mm -hmm. when we receive Holy Communion. I mean, if evil spirits can possess people, mm -hmm. how much more can the Holy Spirit possess us mm -hmm. and not deprive us of our freedom, but impart to us the very freedom of Christ? Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's the whole modus operandi, that the reason why he plays with them for hours, for miles, is so that at that moment of revelation, like now he does understand not just what happened, in Jerusalem, but what's happened in my whole life. That's beautiful, beautiful. Mm -hmm. Sister, mm -hmm. final thoughts. Uh, I would say it's worth it. The journey, it's worth it. It is worth it. It is worth opening up every chapter of our story to the Lord. It is worth opening up every part of our hearts that we want to hide. It is worth it. And at times it feels like a true death, but it's only a death to lead to resurrection. And so that's my by parting thoughts, my dear friends, like that this journey is worth it to become fully alive. And so whatever needs to happen for people to do that, I would say take the next right step because that's where Christ is leading us to into his own beautiful life, his own glorious life. And that's what we ache for and that's what we're made for. And it brings us right back to the start of that's our identity and that's who we are. Yeah. And sister, having known you for a couple of years now uh, and knowing your story, but also knowing the joy with which you live life and the way you love and the way you encounter people, mm. you are just a testimony of that, mm. that, that God can really do really wonderful, amazing things. So thank you so much. You. Well, yeah, we again want to thank Sister. And if you'd like to learn more about today's topic, we have a free handout for you. It's a part of Sister's book. Uh, this is available for you for free if you simply go online to faithandreason.com or call the number that you're going to see somewhere around here in just a moment. So I just again want to thank you, Sister, for being with us. One of the things I'm continually struck by is that we have a God who em enters the messiness mm -hmm. of our world. Mm -hmm. That I suppose in one level he could have been distant and he could have been aloof, but he didn't. Amen. And this is, I think this is a part of the human condition, it's part of our story is that God enters the messiness of the human condition. 
and he takes that mess and he makes something new and he makes something beautiful and he transforms and he renews and he brings dead things to life and in that process is a journey of which each one of us is invited to and we're invited to this place that we allow as he as the incarnation right the nature the beauty of the incarnation is one of the things I love about St. Francis is that um, as Jesus entered the messiness of our world that we are continually invited into the messiness that is our own heart and our own life that at times causes us frustration or confusion or anxiety or fear but if we allow the Lord to enter into that and if we know and we encounter his his deep personal gentle love we realize that that he can fix he can transform he can renew uh, you share in your book uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery and there's such a vulnerable moment in that story when everybody's gone away yeah. and it's just Jesus and the woman and I, I can only imagine every part of her wanted to run or to hide but yeah. actually probably not because finally she found somebody who could see her not how she wanted to present herself or not how she wanted other people but who actually saw her and maybe for the first time in her life this was some place that was safe. Mm. This was some place that uh, someone who loved her for who she was and wanted to love her out of mm -hmm. into something yeah. new. Oh, I and I think this is the invitation of the Lord. Uh, each one of us struggles with, with brokenness that the Lord wants to be able to enter into that mess and transform us and love us out of it. Amen. So thank you for reminding us that. I'd just like to uh, finally invite everybody to be a part of Franciscan University of Steubenville and join us in what we're doing here. Join us in our mission to educate, to evangelize, send forth joyful disciples. Uh, the work of Jesus is about teaching and sending disciples and that's what we're about here at Franciscan University. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. Perhaps you can enroll in one of our education programs, get a degree here on campus or from one of our many online programs. Another way to connect with us at Franciscan University is through our conferences. Sisters, actually everybody here has been a part of the conferences. Just a great way to encounter Jesus and have our lives transformed. Whether you're an adult or a young person, you're more than welcome. We're also travel on one of our pilgrimages. I believe, Scott, you're going to Rome Assisi in the spring, so pretty soon. And um, to be able to join us in, in our conferences and in our pilgrimages, we get to go to some of the most holy, wonderful places around the world. I'd also invite you to go to faithandreason.com for an excerpt of Sister's book or to be able to watch past episodes of Franciscan University Presents that will inspire you in your faith. So we ask the Lord's continued blessing to be upon us. We pray that God would bless our listeners, our viewers, that they would know the healing power of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Download the free handout on today's topic. Go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381. Or call 740 Two eight three six three five seven.